I'm Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to season two of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did. This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study. Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics or send us an email at pushingpediatrics at gmail.com. Hey guys, have you been thinking about joining MedBridge to access the PCS prep program? but just haven't jumped on it yet? Well, we have a special offer for you. We've partnered with MedBridge to offer you all a special discount code on their subscriptions. You can either go onto their MedBridge page and use the code PUSHINGPEDS for $150 off of your subscription or click on the link on the episode summary to go directly to our Pushing Pediatrics page. Follow us, but not studying for the PCS exam? That's okay. You can still use this discount code as well. Share it with your colleagues and other friends who may be studying for their other specialty exams. You all know how much we utilized MedBridge during our studying and how we based our entire study plan off of their content. So take advantage of this special offer and purchase your MedBridge subscription today. Welcome back to Case Files Friday. Now remember, as with all of the case files, this chapter has specific information about things such as a brown recluse spider, which obviously you're not going to be tested on. It is best to take this information that you learn in the chapter, soak up some of the important things about wounds, and then apply them later if you're asked a question about them. Some important things to focus on in this chapter are wound staging and wound interventions. All right, here is the case. A 13-year-old female has been admitted to the intensive care unit of the hospital with acute systemic illness, including acute hemolytic anemia, hypotension, and a poorly healing and painful wound on the posterior right thigh just inferior to the gluteal fold. The wound is bluish black in color and appears to be covered with a hard black escher, She reports that it is very painful when she touches the area, sits, or moves her right leg, rating it as an 8 on a 0 to 10 numeric pain scale. At rest, she rates her pain as a 3. Her previous medical conditions include tonsillitis and recurrent otitis media at the age of 4 with tonsillectomy and eustachian tube surgery at age 6 with full recovery. In the last year, she was given a diagnosis of obesity. She is 5 feet 2 inches tall and weighs 178 pounds with a BMI of 32.6. 
The subjective history from the physician's note on admission indicates that the patient was camping at Hot Springs National Park in Arkansas and noticed spiders in her sleeping bag in the early morning after waking up in pain from a suspected bug bite. The patient's mother confirms that she saw spiders in the sleeping bag and thinks they may have been brown in color. The mother reports that there was a red ring around the wound the day after the bite occurred. However, the mother has not looked at it since that day because her daughter is very shy and does not want her parents looking at her wound. The mother reports she feels terrible about this now because her daughter is very sick and she thought the wound would heal on its own. The physician's impression is that the wound is most likely the result of a brown recluse spider bite since other diagnoses have been ruled out. Physical therapy has been ordered for examination and treatment of the patient's wound as well as her function. Let's start by going over a general physical therapy plan of care and goals. You want to promote healing, prevent and minimize loss of range of motion, strength, and aerobic functional capacity, maximize physical function and safety, minimize secondary impairments such as infection and or excessive scarring, and optimize parent and or caregiver education and health-related quality of life. Interventions include wound cleaning, debridement, and dressing, patient and family education regarding wound management, including the wound healing process, risk of infection, procedure for dressing changes, risk of contracture and scarring, and proper hygiene, reasonable home exercise program that can be incorporated into the daily life of a teenager specifically for this case, and communication and handoff of information to other healthcare providers. Precautions during physical therapy include using the proper infection control techniques, recognizing the specific precautions with the use of indicated modalities, monitoring for wound signs of infection and or maceration of the wound bed or surrounding skin, using a sterile instrument and clean techniques if performing sharp debridement, maintaining modesty of the patient during functional activities, and monitoring for hypotensive episodes due to a systemic response to the current condition. Complications during physical therapy include local and or systemic infection, hypotension, and emotional distress of the teenager or the family and caregivers in this case. Some important things to remember during the examination of the wound is to determine the wound stage, visually inspecting the wound, documenting the dimensions, and determining if there's any undermining of the wound. Taking pictures could also be useful to document change over time. A wound is staged similarly to a pressure ulcer, stages one through four. Stage one includes non-blanching erythema. Stage two is a partial thickness involving the epidermis and dermis. Stage three is a full thickness wound extending to the dermis into subcutaneous tissue. And stage four is a deep tissue destruction extending through the fascia that may include muscle and bone. Things to think about as well include the patient's age and what functional activities she is looking to get back to. In this case, she is a teenager, so make sure that you think about the emotional toll that this may take on her as well. Also remember, study smarter, not harder. Wound stages are very similar to pressure ulcer stages, which are very similar to burn stages. They're all almost identical in their description from their stages one through four. So keep that in mind, pay attention, make those connections, and that's just going to be easier for you to study some of this stuff that doesn't have as much content as some of the other areas in the pediatric physical therapy stuff. 
So let's go over some evidence-based recommendations for this case. The Adolescent Pediatric Pain Tool is a valid, reliable, and sensitive tool for measuring pain intensity, location, and quality in children ages 8 to 17 years old. This has grade B evidence. Choices for cleaning and debriding a chronic wound include surgical debridement, followed by a pulsed lavage and or sharp debridement using a clean technique and sterile instruments. This has grade C evidence. Negative pressure wound therapy promotes healing of chronic wounds by providing a warm, moist environment that encourages increased circulation to the wound, decreases accumulation of excessive exudate, and promotes formation of granulation tissue. This has grade A evidence. So that's like a wound vac, basically. We encourage you to read through this case and review all the different types of wound interventions, including sharp debridement and pulse lavage, just so you have some background information on them. Keep in mind, too, that the questions for this case, specifically in the book, a lot of them focus on the brown recluse spider, which, again, you're most likely not going to be tested on. So we would focus on more of the bulk of the case information and actually just read through this chapter rather than just skipping to the questions at the end. The next case we're going to be going over is case number 23, complex regional pain syndrome. A previous healthy 16-year-old female developed right lower extremity and back pain two days after sustaining a right ankle sprain during soccer practice. The pain extended from her right lumbosacral region and right hip distally to her toes. The teenager initially reported to her primary care physician with decreased skin temperature upon palpation and cyanosis in her right foot, right knee swelling, and allodynia in all painful areas. Her pain ranged from 4 out of 10 to 10 out of 10 on a visual analog scale. She could not report activities or events that aggravated or alleviated her pain. Following one week of unsuccessful home management, including icing and heating the lumbrosacral area, right hip, knee, and ankle, as well as using over-the-counter pain relievers, she returned to her PCP. The PCP ordered blood tests to rule out infectious or active rheumatological disease like rheumatoid arthritis, which were all negative. Her PCP referred her to an orthopedic surgeon. Radiographs and MRI studies were ordered for the lower spine, hip, knee, and ankle regions, and the results were unremarkable. The orthopedic surgeon diagnosed the teenager with an ankle sprain and referred her to a rheumatologist. Based on the findings noted above, the rheumatologist diagnosed her with complex regional pain syndrome, also known as CRPS, and referred the teenager to outpatient PT. Since the onset of her symptoms one month ago, the teenager has missed 14 days of school due to pain and medical appointments. She has not participated in travel soccer or intramural basketball. She stands on her left foot only for showering and sits to dress herself. She does not allow the shower water to hit her right leg due to the pain it causes. The patient presents to her initial physical therapy evaluation ambulating with bilateral axillary crutches and non-weight bearing through her right leg. So first, what is complex regional pain syndrome, or CRPS? CRPS is characterized by the presence of an initial noxious event or cause for immobilization, continued pain, allodynia, or hyperalgesia with pain disproportionate to any inciting event, evidence at some time of edema, changes in skin blood flow, 
or abnormal pseudomotor activity in the region of pain and the exclusion of medical conditions that would otherwise account for the degree of pain and dysfunction. All in all, CRPS is diagnosed based on clinical signs and symptoms of pain neuropathic descriptors. Let's go over a general physical therapy plan of care and goals for the patient. First, educate and empower the patient and family in all aspects of treatment, improve passive and active range of motion, strength, balance, agility, endurance, and functional strength, normalize gait, maximize physical function, improve tolerance to light and deep touch, improve quality of life, and provide sports reentry training as indicated. Physical therapy interventions include patient and caregiver education regarding diagnosis and treatment, discussion of plan of care, including appropriate levels of intervention, education regarding prognosis, specifically that improvement depends on severity and duration of the individual's limitations, contributing factors, and compliance with interventions, reduce and or eliminate physical accommodations being used due to pain, functional mobility, muscle strengthening, active and passive range of motion, aerobic and anaerobic activities, agility and balance training, desensitization, and sports reentry. There are some precautions to be aware of during physical therapy sessions. Supervision is required to ensure proper body mechanics during activities without use of accommodations the individual has adopted due to pain. Selection and progression of intervention should be based on minimizing risk for overuse and orthopedic injuries, especially in individuals with a history of prolonged immobilization, sedentary lifestyle, altered body mechanics, dual diagnoses such as cardiac disease, and fragile bones. Some complications during physical therapy include decreased attendance to physical therapy sessions, decreased compliance with home exercise programming, and recommendations to return to activity and participation levels, lack of collaborative goals between the patient and the caregiver, psychological contributors to pain, and orthopedic or overuse injury. Remember, this patient is a 16-year-old girl, just like our last case, so take that into account emotionally, physically, etc. You want to see how she responds to activities, show her that exercises can be unpainful, and progress the exercises slowly. Connect with her on a level that will encourage her to keep coming back to your sessions and use that connection to motivate her to work on her own at home in school. Think about it. What are some things that maybe she is doing or wanting to do at this age? What are some things that you think she may be motivated to return to doing? Let's go over some evidence-based clinical recommendations. The pathophysiological mechanisms of chronic regional pain syndrome are likely multifactorial, involving both the peripheral and the central nervous system. This is grade A evidence. In the individual with CRPS, immobilization of the affected limb prolongs recovery time. This is grade A evidence. Psychological interventions are needed to address pain-related fear in children with CRPS because fear is a strong predictor of pain-related activity. This is grade B evidence. Key things to remember, CRPS can be treated in both an inpatient and outpatient setting, immobilization can hinder recovery and progress, allodynia is a characteristic of CRPS, 
And CRPS can affect everything in the child's life from school to home to leisure activities. Remember, allodynia is pain due to a stimulus that does not usually provoke pain. That is it for this week. Tune in next week as we go through the clinical practice guidelines for developmental coordination disorder and torticollis. Happy studying. Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time. And remember, you totally got it.